Thank you, Zoe, and the rest of the worship team for leading us this morning, especially in that last song, uh, Amazing Grace. Um, <laughs> Amazing Grace is, uh, like John 3.16, uh, to me, is one of, those, um, one of those things that pretty much everybody knows and is familiar with, but um, I hope that our familiarity with it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't take us away from how powerful it is, like how, how impactful it is. Uh, if you don't know this morning how amazing the grace of God is, that, that he sent his son Jesus Christ to, to die for you on a cross, to, to forgive you of your sins, and, and that Jesus rose again from the grave and is now alive and seated at the right hand of God, and by his death and resurrection you can have eternal life. If you don't know that this morning, have never experienced how amazing the grace of God is, then I invite you this morning to, to experience it for the very first time. I invite you this morning to, to enter into a relationship with God um, to place your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus and experience that amazing grace. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 9 this morning. Acts chapter 9. Continuing along uh, in our series through the book of Acts um, to Judea, um, the second part of the book of Acts as we see the, the word of God, um, the, the kingdom of God expanding. See that uh, in Acts chapter 9. Uh, and we're going to be in verse 1 this morning, uh, starting in verse 1. All right, Zion. <laughs> said ace, I can't see. <laughs> uh, Acts chapter 9, uh, someone is excited about it. Um, beginning in verse 1 of Acts chapter 9, it says this. Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, Who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has the authority from the, the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him, much, uh, show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me, so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his, fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately... He proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. 
And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon the name? And has he not come here for the purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Let me pray for us and we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to dig into your word, to be challenged by it, to be strengthened by it, and encouraged by it. Father, I pray that every single one of us this morning would be ready to receive what you have for us from your word, that our ears would be ready to hear it, that our our heart would be willing and excited to apply it, that, that we as a church would grow and look more like you because of our time in the word this morning. May we leave through those doors better and closer to you than when we arrived because of our time in the word this morning. We love you and praise you. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Every so often, uh, periodically throughout church history, somebody will rise up who really hates the church. Somebody will rise up, they'll come to power, and their main goal is to eliminate Christianity. The most famous example of that is a guy named Diocletian. So Diocletian became Roman emperor uh, around 284 A.D. And him, along with his protege, uh, Galerius, took me a second to remember it, him and his protege Galerius, they, they, their goal was to wipe out the church, to destroy it. And he led what was called uh, now the Great Persecution, or the Diocletian Persecution, if you're less dramatic. Uh, he, was, uh, he led the strongest revolt, strongest attempt to destroy the church in the history of Christianity. You see, throughout the Roman Empire, he began taking the rights away from Christians. He began imprisoning Christians. Then he began torturing Christians. And finally, uh, he began killing Christians, murdering them, burning them alive, throwing them uh, to wild beasts in the Colosseum. He began this really terrible time in church history for about 10 years called the Great Persecution. And every so often, somebody like him will rise up. They happen... Uh, sporadically around history and around the globe. Somebody will come up and their goal is to wipe out the church. Saul was an early Diocletian. Saul's mission was to destroy the church. Like He wanted it gone. See, Saul was part of the religious elite in Jerusalem. He was, he was zealous for God. He, he really wanted to follow God. And he thought that this sect that was rising out of Judaism called the Way at the time, what we now know as Christianity, this group that was rising out, he thought that they were teaching things that were untrue. He knew that they were teaching that Jesus was the Son of God. And to him, he thought that was blasphemy. He thought they were teaching things that are untrue about God. So he was zealous. He wanted to wipe out and destroy the church. He wanted to destroy Christianity. Now, this may not be a surprise to you, but Diocletian never became a Christian. Right? That may not be shocking. And, and we wouldn't assume that Saul would become a Christian either, right? Because Saul, like Diocletian, he wants to wipe out the church. How many of you are going to cross paths with Saul and share the gospel with him? Like, probably not very many. I, I would not, right? Some of you may be more righteous than me, and you're like, I'm gonna, I, would, I would share the gospel with Saul. Um, but the rest of us don't want to die. So, Uh, I probably wouldn't share the gospel with him. Uh, For us, 
we assume that Saul is an obstacle to the church that needs to be eliminated, not a potential member, right? Uh, we, the Christians at the time were probably praying for Saul to die, not for Saul to become a Christian. Because right? he is vehemently against the church. He, it's his goal to destroy it. He wants it gone, which makes what happens in Acts chapter 9 all the more surprising. Before we get to Acts 9, think with me back to Acts chapter 7. At the end of Acts chapter 7, we were there. I know this was like three weeks ago, so it's been a while. Um, but uh, at the end of Acts chapter 7, uh, remember in Acts 7, Stephen was murdered. The first Christian martyr, the first Christian to die for his faith. He was murdered by a mob that picked up stones and threw the stones at him until he died. Uh, and if you remember back in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, it says this. Then they cast him out of the city, that's Stephen, they cast Stephen out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That is our introduction to Saul in the Bible. Like that's, the, that's the very first mention of Saul anywhere in Scripture. And it's not a, it's not a flattering depiction, right? Uh, like the first introduction we get of Saul is, hey, you remember that guy uh, who was killed for his faith, Stephen? Yeah, well, there's a guy named Saul there who is cheering it on, right? That's, that's the first picture, the first image we get of him. It's not supposed to be flattering. It's not supposed to be uh, this beautiful image because he was cheering on, celebrating the murder of a Christian. And uh, this is a guy that is antagonistic against the church, a guy who, who hated the church. Now, knowing what we know now, I can imagine Saul reading the first draft of Luke's book and thinking, did you have to include that? Like, did you... Do you really want, did you have to put that, like, it seems personal. Um, but it's there for a reason. It's because the, the first glimpse we get at Saul is that he is an antagonist. He is opposed to the church, and he wants to see it eliminated. So we get to Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It's not surprising. Acts 9, 1 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Like, it doesn't get any more antagonistic than that. Like, you can't possibly get, you can't possibly hate the church more than him. He is intentionally trying to wipe them out. You don't have to be reading very hard to read those verses and think, hmm, I don't think this Saul guy likes Christians. Like, you don't, it's not that hard. He hates the church. And so here he is in Jerusalem. He's going house to house, he's going neighborhood by neighborhood, and he's rounding up all of the Christians he can find, and he's throwing them in prison, and he doesn't have, as, uh, as a Jew, he doesn't have the authority uh, from the Roman government to kill them, but we can tell uh, from his threats that he's hoping the Roman government will kill them for him. So he keeps rounding them up and tossing them in jail. Men, women, children, any Christians he could find, he's rounding them up and throwing them in prison, and he's done such a number on the church in Jerusalem um, that the Christians have started to flee. They've started to, to run away. That's what we saw at the end of Acts, at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, is the Christians are fleeing from Jerusalem. They're spreading all out the region because they are scared for their lives of this guy named Saul who is leading an assault on the church. That is a guy who hates Christianity. He begins, he hears rumors that there are Christians in Damascus. He's, he's doing his best to, to contain it. He's doing his best to wipe out the Christians in Jerusalem, and he hears that there are Christians worshiping up in Damascus. So he goes to the high priest and essentially asks for a warrant. 
says, let, let me go up and let me get them. Let me go up, let me go imprison them, let me bring them back here uh, where we can throw them in prison and hopefully the Christian faith will die with them. That's the guy who hates Christians. That is not a guy you would assume is going to become a Christian. I think the, the Christians of their day hated Saul. They're, they're huddling in their homes and they're whispering his name in secrets. They're, they're keeping tabs on his activities so they can avoid crossing paths with him. That's Saul, antagonist of the church, persecutor of the church, murderer of Christians. And the whole time he thinks he's doing what's right. The whole time he's doing this, he's doing this because he thinks that, that this group of Christians, this, this group that's coming out of Judaism are preaching false, untrue things about God, and he, he is zealous for God, and so he thinks he's doing what's right by going and putting an end to Christianity. Now, we, as we saw from last uh, chapter 8, uh, he's going to have to go a lot further than Damascus to try to end the spread of Christianity. Right? The poor guy's like fighting a river, uh, right? He's uh, he's going to have, what we saw in Acts 8, he's going to have to go all the way to Ethiopia if he wants to wipe out the spread of Christianity. But he's giving it his best effort. 110%, he's trying to wipe out Christianity. For most of us, as Christians, that would kind of be the end of the story. Right? We would avoid Saul, hope that one day he's taken out of the picture, uh, and we'll go on with our lives. But Jesus had other plans. Look with me in verse 3. Acts 9. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and he said, who are you, Lord? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no one. So I want you to just picture this scene with me for just a second. So you're on your way uh, from Jerusalem to Damascus. You're, you're trying to destroy the church. You have letters uh, from the high priest who says that what you're doing is good, what you're doing is right. Uh, and so you're on your way from Jerusalem to Damascus. You're probably bored. You know, I don't know how long the trip uh, took, um, but I don't imagine that long journey is probably fun. So you're doing whatever you do when you're bored on the way from Jerusalem to Damascus. You're you're punching your buddies every time you see a beetle uh, walk along the street. Like whatever it is that you do when you're bored on long journeys, um, you're doing that. And then all of a sudden, bam, you're hit by a bright, blinding light that literally knocks you down. Like out of nowhere, unexpected, bright light knocks you down. And then while you're down on the ground, a voice reaches out to you and says, why are you persecuting me? Like I would need a new tunic. Like, Saul is probably <laughs> freaking out at this moment. And he regains his composure. He kind of collects himself after the initial shock. Uh, and he asks a sensible question. He realizes, I don't know who this, I don't know who this is. Like, I, don't, uh, I can't see anything. Uh, it's kind of, I should probably know who this is. So, so he's like, who are you? I don't know who you are. Like, who, who, what do you mean I'm persecuting you? Who are you? Uh, and the, the voice answers, I am Jesus you're persecuting. I am Jesus, and you are persecuting me. Now, Saul is very aware that he is persecuting the followers of Jesus. 
Like, that's not a new information to him. <laughs> that's, not, uh, that's not the main idea that's being conveyed by Jesus here. He is perfectly aware that he is persecuting the followers of Jesus. What's hitting Saul like a ton of bricks right here is the fact that he was wrong about Jesus. What he is coming to realize right here in this moment is that what the Christians say about Jesus is actually true. That he is alive. That he is seated at the right hand of God. That he is the son of God. That he is worthy of worship and honor and praise. Like what the Christians are preaching and teaching about Jesus is actually true. And so this whole time he thought he was on a mission from God. This whole time he thought he was fighting for God. But in reality, he's been fighting against him. In reality, Saul was the one who was wrong. Saul was the one preaching lies. Saul was the one who believed and trusted in things that could not save him. And he recognized in that moment that Jesus really is God. He really is alive, and I should probably stop persecuting his people. He says in verse, uh, verse 12, oh, sorry, excuse me, uh, verse 6, rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what to do. So Saul gets up, and he, he immediately realizes that he's blind, and that Jesus has blinded him. That was pretty obvious to him. And so he got, he got up. He couldn't see. He was led into the city uh, by his buddies. Um, and so he's there. He's sitting in this house in Damascus. He's fasting and praying. We see this in verse 8. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. They led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. What we see in those verses is a guy who's experiencing a change. Here's a guy whose world has been absolutely rocked by an encounter with Jesus. Like everything that he thought, everything he believed is different. Where he finally recognizes who Jesus is. He has come face to face with the reality that Jesus is the Son of God, that he's worthy of our worship and our honor and praise, and that by his death and resurrection, he can have eternal life. If you place your faith and trust in him, he has come face-to-face with the reality of who Jesus is, and that is changing everything for him. He's sitting there on a floor at his home in Damascus, unable to see, which is highly ironic, because for the first time in his life, he sees the reality of who Jesus is, and he can't see in this moment. He's sitting there, and he's fasting, and he's praying, and he's aligning his heart with God. What we see in this story is no different than any other conversion story. Anybody who has come to place their faith in Jesus has experienced what Paul is experiencing right here. And has exhibited what Paul is exhibiting right here. Where your world is rocked. Everything that you trusted in and believed in and put your hope and your faith in is shown to be worthless because you have come face to face with the reality of who Jesus is. Anybody who has experienced conversion knows that you have placed your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus, abandoning faith and hope and trust in the things that you thought could give you life and the things that you thought could give you eternal uh, peace and happiness and joy. You turned away from those things and you turned to Jesus. You began to align your heart with God. 
we see in this passage is just the same thing that we see in all of our lives if we place our faith in Jesus. We see a total life change. We go on. Uh, what's different about Saul as opposed to the rest of us is Saul had a reputation for murdering Christians. Uh, so the next few steps ha are really crucial for Saul to go from murderer of Christians to member of a Christian church um, is a difficult transition. And so we see in verse 10, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight at the house of Judas. Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So Jesus uh, having already encountered Saul, having already started uh, this encounter with him, goes and he talks to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I need you to go find Saul, pray for him, and allow him to regain his sight. And we, we lose sight of the fact that that's a really difficult ask for Ananias. Right? All Ananias knows is this guy wants to kill Christians. This guy is the persecutor of the church. Like, if Jesus had called up Ananias and said, hey, uh, I have blinded Saul, he's not a problem anymore, then there'd be celebration in the church. Like, people would be rejoicing and celebrating in the streets that Saul is blind, he is out of the picture. But that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I've blinded Saul, I need you to go to pray for him so he restores his sight. So he can get it back. Jesus didn't blind Saul just to, to get him out of the way. This whole thing is Jesus finishing his encounter with Saul. Ananias hears the command. He hears what Jesus says, and he's understandably confused. We see in verse 13, Ananias answered, Lord, uh, I have heard uh, many things about this man, uh, about how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and here in Damascus, he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So he's, he's, he's asking, are you sure? Like, I, don't know, I don't know if you have all your facts straight here, but this guy uh, killed a lot of Christians in Jerusalem, and, and I know he's here with letters to kill Christians here. Um, so are you sure? Like, why, why, why do you want to give him his sight back? Jesus responds, verse 15, The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. This beautiful response by Jesus that he has chosen Saul for a reason. He has picked Saul out. He has, he has saved him. He has brought him into a right relationship with God for a purpose, for a reason. Says he has called out Saul to go proclaim the gospel where it has never been proclaimed before. To go proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles, people who have never had the gospel proclaimed to them. To go proclaim the gospel before kings, people in authority, with power, people uh, who other people couldn't get an audience with. He, to go proclaim the gospel to the children of Israel, every tribe, nation, tongue, every, every people group around the world to go begin spreading the gospel where it had never gone before. God had chosen and selected Saul to, to receive salvation and to go out 
uh, with the gospel to places that had never been gone, uh, never gone before. What we see in other writings and other letters of Paul, uh, other letters of Saul, is at this moment, God was turning Saul from an antagonist into an apostle, like one of the twelve. At this moment, he was choosing and selecting Saul for a mission to go out into the world and to proclaim the gospel like it had never been proclaimed before. What a beautiful, incredible transformation for Saul. Verse 17. Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Notice what Ananias calls Saul when he lays his hands on him. It says, Brother Saul. Like, what a transformation for Saul. He, he left Jerusalem heading to Damascus to imprison Christians, to wipe out the spread of the church, and now he's sitting there in a house in Damascus being called brother by a fellow believer in Jesus. Brother Saul, Lord has appeared to, the Lord who appeared to you on the road uh, by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, and immediately... Something like scales fell from, fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. So this, this transformation is complete, from an antagonist to an apostle. Saul regains his sight. The Holy Spirit falls on him. He's baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he takes food, he's strengthened again, the transformation is complete. This guy who was going to kill Christians is now a follower of Jesus. This guy who was going to eliminate the church is going to be responsible for its spread unlike anybody else in church history. This guy who was an antagonist to the church has now become an apostle. What a beautiful, powerful, incredible transformation. And notice I'm still calling him Saul uh, and not Paul. Uh, there, a lot of you may have been taught that in this moment his name changes from Saul to Paul after uh, placing his faith and coming to know Jesus. Um, that, that's not unique in the Bible. There are a lot of name changes in the Bible. Uh, Abram to Abraham, Jacob to Israel, Simon to Peter. Um, so there, there are plenty of instances of people having an encounter with God, having their name changed. Um, but that's not actually what happened to Saul. So Saul and Paul are the same name, just two different versions of it. Right? There's, uh, he was a Jew, a uh, former Jew, so he had the name Saul. And then as a Roman citizen, he had a Latin version of the same name, Paul. So uh, he, he, his name wasn't changed. It just depends on what letter, who his audience is. Uh, but the reality is you don't have to change your name to notice what a transformation Saul had. This is a guy who went from murderer to Christian. From, uh, from hater of the church, opposed to the church, to apostle of the church. And he gets right to work. Look with me in verse 19, the second half. For some days he was with the disciples in Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon the name? And has he not come here? 
for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So he was saved by Jesus, called out by Jesus, and he went right to work. He entered the synagogues. Now, if you remember, Saul left Jerusalem headed to the synagogues. His main goal was to go to the synagogues to arrest the people who were following Jesus and proclaiming Jesus there in the synagogues. And here he is entering the synagogues for the first time in Damascus, proclaiming the name of Jesus in all the people who were there preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing with the Jews who were there in the synagogues that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and that by his death and resurrection they could have eternal life. Proclaiming the name of Jesus that he is Lord there in the synagogue. And they have no answers for him. They are amazed and shocked. Like this guy, uh, isn't this the guy who killed Christians? Isn't this the guy who, who, who imprisoned Christians, who made so much havoc? in the church that Christians fled out of Jerusalem. But here he was proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what an encounter with Jesus did to him. That's what the power of God did for him. He went from an antagonist to an, to an apostle, proclaiming the name of Jesus there in the synagogue and, and beyond. That's what I want us to get out of this text this morning. If Jesus has the power to turn an antagonist into an apostle, then he can expand his kingdom through you. If Jesus has the power to turn an antagonist into an apostle, then he can use you to expand his kingdom. Who did God use to spread the gospel further than it had ever gone before? A guy who killed and imprisoned Christians. If God can use that guy God can use you. Now, when I talk about expanding the kingdom of God, I mean that in two ways. The, the number one way is evangelism, which I'll talk about in a second. But, but what I also want to talk about is expanding the kingdom of God in your own life. Some of you think that whatever sin you struggle with is just something that's, that's too big and, and, and unconquerable. You're just struggling with something that, that, that's just your burden to bear. It's just something that you're going to fight with. And it's just something that, that, that's too big for God to handle. It's just too big for God to remove from you. That this sin just has a, a grip on you that you just can't seem to shake. But if Jesus is powerful enough to take a guy who murdered Christians and to turn his entire life around, then he is powerful enough to overcome anything that you struggle with. Don't tell me that your sin is more powerful than Jesus. Don't tell me that the grip that sin has on your life is so strong that Jesus can't pry it open. If Jesus has the power to turn an antagonist into an apostle, he can expand the kingdom of God in your own life. He can conform you into his image. He can overcome and overpower the sin in your life and really, truly, fully set you free. He can also use you to expand the kingdom around you preach lost people the gospel. Some of you feel inadequate to preach the gospel. You feel inadequate to share the gospel with the people around you. Like, you're, like maybe you're not worthy to do it. You, maybe you need to, to clean up your life a little bit, figure some things out, and then you can share the gospel. Maybe, maybe you need to, uh, to get some more training because you don't know enough, and really you, you're not quite there, so you can't, you can't share the gospel 
uh, really well, but the reality is that if God can use this guy who murdered Christians to expand the kingdom of God in the synagogues in Damascus, then he can use you right where you are with the people around you. If God is powerful enough to use Paul, then he is more than powerful enough to use you to expand his kingdom through you, to reach the people around you with the gospel. And on top of that, there are no people around you who are too far gone and unable to receive the gospel. You're not the one who does the saving. You're not the one that affects the work. It is the power of Jesus, and it is the power of the Holy Spirit who works through you to achieve salvation, to, to save sinners, to, to bring lost people into repentance, and to, 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 to see people come to know Jesus and have eternal life. It is Jesus and the Holy Spirit who does that through you. It is not by your power. And so there is nothing that you can do that will invalidate your ability to go share the gospel if you're a follower of Jesus. Go share the gospel. It's the power of Jesus who actually does the saving. Go proclaim the message to the people around you because there's nobody around you who cannot change. There's nobody around you who is too far gone. If God can save Paul, he can save any of the people around you. If an encounter with Jesus could save Saul, if an encounter with Jesus could save you, then he can do the same thing for the people around you, at your school, your neighborhood, at your work. If, if God could save Saul, he can save the atheist at work. If he saved Saul, he could save the Muslim down the street. If he saved Saul, he could save the agnostic in your family. Don't tell me that your insufficiency, that your inability to proclaim the gospel is too much for God to overcome. That your inability to do a great job, that your lack of knowledge, or that your... Uh, your lack of ability to, to, to speak really well is too much of an obstacle for God to use to save people. God can use you right where you are to expand his kingdom. He can expand his kingdom in the lives of any of the people around you. I hope this morning that we get hope and encouragement from the story of Saul. From this beautiful conversion, this beautiful story about an encounter with Jesus that changed everything for Saul. And that we recognize that we can have that same salvation. And that if we have experienced that same salvation, then Jesus is powerful enough to set us free from any sin that we struggle with. And he is powerful enough to use us with all of our imperfections, all of our lack of knowledge, all of our inability to communicate well. He can use us to actually reach people with the gospel. And that God can really reach any of the people that we come in contact with. So I hope that we get courage and strength from this story. I hope it emboldens us to live lives that God has called us to and emboldens us to go reach lost people with the gospel. Some of you here this morning 
are hearing the gospel, you're hearing the story, you're seeing the encounter with Paul and the life change that he had, and you know that you need that. That you need the gospel. That you need the eternal life that Jesus can provide. You're recognizing that you need your Damascus Road experience. Because you're coming face to face with the reality of who Jesus is, and you are recognizing that everything you have trusted in, everything you put your hope and your life in, are all coming up empty. And Jesus is the one who can offer you eternal life. That's you this morning. I want to offer you the opportunity to enter into a relationship with Jesus. I want to offer you the opportunity to experience and receive the amazing grace of God. Everybody bow your heads and close your eyes. If that's you this morning, you want to enter into a relationship with Jesus, you want to have that Damascus Road experience, then all I'm going to invite you to do is to, to repeat after me in this little prayer, just quietly in your head or, or whisper silently to yourself. Just repeat after me. There's nothing magical with these words. This prayer itself won't save you, but if you believe what you pray, and you can receive eternal life from Jesus. Pray, uh, pray with me if that's you. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that, that I have put my faith and trust in things that cannot save me. And I know that I need the eternal life that Jesus provides. I need the forgiveness of sins that Jesus can offer. God, I ask you to forgive my sins by the blood of Jesus. I ask you to give me eternal life by the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. I want to spend forever with you. I want to live for you today. Change me like you changed Saul. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.